one of these days I'm just going to have to let her loose and let her just preach, you know. But, you know, every time I ask her to do that, then she gets all nervous, and then she, I don't know, we'll have to just work on that, right? Mother's Day, how about we plan it? Mother's Day, you get to speak. Amen. Well, it's good to have all of you with us today. We appreciate all of you also joining us online. Thank you for being with us today whenever you're watching or listening. Today I want us to uh, open our Bibles. Just go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 9, if you will. I'll also have the Scripture here on the screen uh, to my left. Uh, But before we get really cranking today, before we get into... Uh, get going too much here. I want to. I want to ask you a question. I have this question for you, and that is: Have you ever wondered what really matters to God? Have you ever thought in the day to day, what is it that really matters to Him? Um, have you ever stopped to consider just what what kinds of things He's desiring today? I mean, does anyone in this room, you have desires that you'd like to see happen today or this year? Yeah? I want to look at it today in Matthew 9 because we're shown what it is that really matters to God. And in this passage, we're going to find Jesus going and healing a lot of folks. And we're going to find there's going to be irritated Pharisees because he didn't do it quite right, didn't hold his mouth right, didn't do it quite right, or went to the wrong people. And I want you to notice, before we get deep into this, that what really matters to God is people. And not just people, but the condition that you're living in. The way we are living, God is really, really, really concerned about. He wants you to live. Jesus said when he came to this world, he said that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. So that means God wants us free. And you just see him going through his life and every person that he could possibly free, he freed. The people weren't the same after he touched them. And it might not be something that we think about too often, and yet it, it, we, we can be sure that what really matters to God, what really motivates Him, is people. And I want you to follow along with me. We're going to read verses uh, 9 through 13 at the beginning here in Matthew 9, and I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. It says, And as Jesus passed on from there, He saw a man named Matthew... And by the way, the place that he just passed on from is he forgives a paralytic and heals him. And Pharisees are upset with him about it. And they're departing, they're mumbling at him. So then Jesus, he he goes and it says that he passed on from there and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. Everybody say, the ancient IRS. And they had about the same feeling of, of them as maybe some of you do. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So it would be just like finding an uh, unsaved IRS guy. Say, hey, come follow me. He follows you and you take him. You go to his house and he starts serving food. And he brings all of his sinner friends, okay, 
and you start eating with them. And when the Pharisees see it in verse 11, they say to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Here it is. Verse 13 is what I want you to zero in on. He tells them, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Bow with me. Father, I pray you'd open our heart. I pray that you'd speak to our life and that you would change any part in us that needs changed. Father, take us into this world to help us also do what you did in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, would you just say amen? Now, I've titled this message today, I Desire Mercy, Not Sacrifice. Or other words shortened, it could just be mercy, not sacrifice. And I really want you to think about this. Sometimes we think and feel, maybe as a believer, that we've got to do something for God to get approval from God, when really what God wants is mercy. See, these Pharisees, these religious people, these, and they're, sometimes we're Pharisees, okay? Sometimes we can act like a Pharisee. Sometimes we can be too, uh, you know, interested in the ritual or the way things need to get done, that we miss the mercy. We're too busy sacrificing sometimes and not always walking in mercy. And so today, what I really want us to do is zero in on verse 13 and do our very best to do exactly what Jesus has suggested in Matthew nine thirteen. Let me read it again. But go and learn what this means. This is our, this is our uh, rubber meets the road. This is our application. This is what God wants us to do today. Find out what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the word mercy causes me to want to know how many times did God talk about this in God's Word. And when I go through, and it depends really, the word mercy will depend upon what translation you have, but I'm just going to use the King James Version as an example. In the King James Version, the word mercy, you're going to find that particular word used around 276 times. That's quite a bit. Not, not quite one, one for every day of the year, but it's, it's, it's shown us a lot of times where God is mentioning mercy. If you look at Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, look at this. It says, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus is quoting from this when he's talking to the, the Pharisees. How many know the Pharisees would have known the Old Testament? How many know the Pharisees would have read Hosea 6.6? 6? And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You go to the other small little prophet book named Micah, same chapter, same verse. Micah 6, 6, he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What is, the, what is important to God? That you do justly and that you love mercy. Oh, wait. That's not the one. That's not the right verse. I'm quoting the wrong one. I've got my verses mixed up. But just listen to this. Take that off the screen. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Hear this. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
Do you love mercy? Do you know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God is full of grace and mercy. God does not really want to give what someone deserves. He wants to give them grace. And so in this, in this particular section, Jesus calls that we looked at here in verse 9 through 13. He's calling a tax collector, Matthew. We're reading out of the book he ultimately wrote. Are you with me? And he says, follow me. And despite the disdain that society had for the tax collectors, Jesus sees beyond the appearances, and he chooses to show mercy. And by doing so, he reminds us that that grace... That mercy extends to all of us, regardless of our past, regardless of what we've done, into our present, regardless of what we are doing or what we are thinking. How many of you would raise your hands and say, you always think the way God thinks? You always do what God does. We don't, do we? Sometimes we go, oh, man, Lord, how am I going to, when am I ever going to get this right? Amen? And so we've got to recognize our own need for mercy, and that will help us show mercy to everyone else that needs it. We need to walk humbly. We need to love mercy. Now, after calling Matthew, we find Jesus and the disciples eating with him and many of his tax collectors. And I want you to watch this. This has been an appalling scene to the religious leaders. To share a meal, to share this intimate experience with unclean sinners like these tax collectors. In fact, you'll find that phrase often in Scripture, tax collectors and sinners. It's like they're right in, I mean, first of all, it's really bad to be a tax collector and then a sinner. I mean, you know, tax tax collectors come before sinners. And uh, if anybody works in the IRS, I'm not trying to really, I'm not trying to come against you. Because I just paid my taxes, just so you know, my quarterly taxes. And uh, so these Pharisees, they're whispering their doubt and their condemnation. And Jesus overhears them, and he responds. And he says, go and learn what this really means. Now, you know that when you're a teacher, like the Pharisees were, and you're told to go do something that you don't really understand, that you're not walking in, you're getting rebuked. And Jesus had a way of rebuking without tearing them apart. He just simply says, go and learn what this means. What does mercy mean? How many of you remember wrestling with one guys, maybe you, you know, wrestling with your brother and that older sibling, he pinned you down, or maybe it was your sister, you were a little, a little guy. And you're familiar with the mercy rule? You know, you're tapping them and they're like, mercy, mercy. There's a mercy rule, I believe, in baseball. I forget exactly what it's called, but after, after so many runs, if, if they're ahead so many runs, it's like, okay, we're, mercy, that's it, we're done. You know, 19 to 0, yeah, we're done. So, 
first thing I want you to understand is this. You're going to meet sinful people every day. But I want to ask you this. Do you go through the week without sinning in thought, in word, or in deed yourself? So here's the point I want to make. We are sinful people. We're in need of mercy. We're in need of kindness. We're in need of patience. If you've ever raised children, you know this is true. Every person is born with a sin nature, and we're prone to destruction, to destroying ourselves. We're, we're prone to, you know, sit there and eat a bag of potato chips when we know this stuff's going to hurt us, right, later on. Or, you know, well, we just continue to choose the things that it's like, but it's, it's so good, it tastes good. You know, I've, in fact, I was reading anything that ends in O's, like if, if it's a snack and it ends in O's, it's not good for you. And I was like, man, that means Doritos, Fritos, Cheetos, Muncho. All those are all the good stuff, right? Those are the good stuff. I mean, that's the stuff that tastes good. Amen? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you that are not even saying amen, you're like, yeah, I know. It is. The Bible says this in Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of sin. There isn't anyone who lives exempt from this reality. But here's the amazing part. If you read verse 34 of Romans 3, it says that all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. So, there is redemption for sin, there is an answer for sin, and it's God's mercy that it begins in. And in our passage today, we see three different stories, and we're going to continue reading here. Three different stories with one common theme throughout, and all of it has to deal with mercy. And complete within there is compassion. Compassion, I think, has to be one of those things that really is at the heart of a Christian. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is priority number one. That's what God said. That's what Jesus said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, this is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You need to have a compassion and a passion for God. And the second one is right on the tails of it, and it's to love others just like you love yourself. Now, if you look at verse 18... And you're familiar with this story if you've known Jesus very long at all. And it's not just a story. It's a true account. We're going to read verses 18 through 26. Now watch this. It says, while he spoke these things, Matthew 9, 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly, as he's on his way... There was a woman who had a flow of blood that she had been dealing with for 12 solid years. For anybody in the room or everybody listening online that have dealt with something for a long time, this woman dealt with this for 12 years, and she came from behind, and she reached out, and she touched the hem of his garment because this is what she was saying to herself, if only I can touch his garment, I'll be made well. 
And Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Twelve years of suffering went away in a moment. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. Mourners were there. But he said, make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And then they start laughing and ridiculing him. And when the crowd was put aside, he went and he took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of that went out into all that land. Here's an interesting point. That girl was the same age as the woman had been dealing with her, her ailment. That little girl was the same age. She was 12 years old, and that woman had dealt with a problem for 12 years. Isn't it interesting? That God, on a way to a 12-year-old girl, heals a woman with a 12-year-old problem. One had been dealing with something for so long, and one was dead. How many of you know both needed mercy? And one of them, he did not even... Go towards her. She came toward him. So even those who will touch him will receive mercy. So here we see his mercy extended as he raises this 12-year-old girl from the dead. And on the way to the house, here is this woman, both in need of mercy. And this father, he's pleading for the the daughter's life. And this woman, she has nowhere else to go. How many times do we see people today in 2024 in these kinds of situations? Meanwhile, the religious leaders, everybody say the Pharisees, this was a condition of, quote, the church of that day. They were remaining focused on their rituals. They were remaining focused on their day-to-day, and they failed to grasp the true essence of their faith. And what Jesus does is he just responds to two needs And it's a challenge, I believe, today for us to examine our lives and question whether we prioritize the outward religious practices over genuine acts of compassion and mercy. In the middle of the Great Depression, I believe it was around 1935 or so, it was. How many of you have ever heard of LaGuardia Airport in New York? Well, it's named after a man who was the mayor in New York named LaGuardia. And in the middle of the Great Depression, New York City Mayor Fiorello LaGuardia wanted to be among the people, live with the people. And so, it wasn't unusual for him. He would go into with the fire trucks and ride with the firefighters. He would uh, raid places with, with the police officers. Or he'd take field trips with orphans and go with them on their field trips. Uh, but there was a bitterly cold night in January of 1935 when the Mayor LaGuardia turned up at the night court. Now, he had been a lawyer. He would actually been... I believe it was in the state senate for about 10 years, something like that. And uh, so he, he dismissed the judge, and he said, I'll go ahead and, and do the court tonight. So he took over the bench himself, and within a few minutes, 
there was an elderly grandmother brought before him who was charged with stealing a loaf of bread. And she explained to the mayor that her daughter's husband had left her, her daughter was sick, and at home her two grandchildren were starving because there was no money. However, the shopkeeper from whom the bread was stolen refused to to stop the charges and said, this is a real bad neighborhood that I have my store in, Your Honor, and she's got to be punished because other people around need to be taught a lesson. And they said, LaGuardia sighed. And he turned to the woman and he said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exception. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. But even as he pronounced the sentence, he's reaching in his back pocket. And he pulls out a bill and his hat is sitting there and he tosses it into his famous hat. And he said, here is the ten dollar fine which I now remit. And furthermore, I am going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so a grandchild can eat. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. He passed the hat around, and everybody gave, even the grocery store owner. And the following day, New York City newspapers reported that $47.50 was turned over to the bewildered grandmother who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. Fifty cents of that amount, as I said, was contributed by the grocery owner who lost the bread. And while some 70 petty criminals, people with traffic violations, and New York City policemen were also in the room, every single one of them had to give 50 cents as well. And he received a standing ovation. I want to ask you this. Maybe you've not stolen a loaf of bread. Maybe you have. But all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Many of us have done things in our lives right now that we're not proud of. Some have painted themselves into the proverbial corner of life, and they're stuck. And often, uh, it's been our fault. It's been our responsibility And we need grace, and we need mercy from time to time. Do you agree with that? Now, let's look at verses 27 through 31. Are you still with me? Here we witness incredible faith exercised by two blind men. I want you to just close your eyes and look around. Close your eyes, keep them closed. And I want you to just imagine having to go through life like that. In fact, you're probably seeing more than what they see because you can even see light probably coming through your eyelids. They're in total darkness. You can go ahead and open them. Look what these two men asked for. When Jesus departed from there, so, so far, he's healed a paralytic. He went and ate with Matthew, raised a little girl from the dead, on the way, heals a woman. Now watch this. 
When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Have what? Mercy. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were open. And when Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in all that country. Keep reading. Verses 32 through 34. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute. Couldn't? Couldn't talk. And he's possessed with demon. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out the demons by the ruler of demons. They simply wouldn't believe it. They simply would not have mercy. Now look now at how the chapter concludes in verses 35 through 38. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, look at this, here it is, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's you and me. See, we can't pray for harvest, harvesters without being willing to become one ourselves. And the Pharisees never change. Can I just say that? You find them the same, and they're still the same. Some people say, well, they shouldn't have gotten themselves in that trouble anyway. Okay, have you gotten yourself into trouble? See, we need mercy. And if you keep reading in, in Matthew chapter 12, we're not going to take the time to, to go through there, but these Pharisees were still bent on doing their rituals, and Jesus said this, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Different whole situation, different group of them. Same question. So I want to conclude. As we reflect on all of what we've just read here, particularly in Matthew 9, I want to draw attention to the fact that Jesus' actions infuriated the religious. Why? I mean, it really infuriated these religious elites. The Pharisees, the scribes. Because what Jesus does is he steps over their rituals. You see, what they, did, what they had done is they had made the law into something it wasn't ever meant to be. And he began to model what it really means to meet the needs of real people with real problems. And man, I'm telling you, we live in a day and hour where there are a lot of people with real problems. And I'm telling you, something just as simple as just being nice and kind. Amen. Man, that, that right there is just an opening. Because 
How many of you believe we live in a day and hour that's really different than what we've ever lived in? We really do. And Matthew, he's a despised tax collector. He's hated by his fellow Jews for selling out to Rome. The lady with the 12-year-old hemorrhage was pitied, but she was also avoided. Because in, in, in the law, if, if you had an issue of blood, you were called unclean. So she, you know, many of her would have, con- many people would have considered her condition. They would look at her and go, what are you being punished for? For some sin or some wrong in her life. The synagogue leader trusted, he's actually working in the synagogue, so he's actually watching Jesus, and he's, he's believing that a touch from him would bring his daughter back from the jaws of death. He knew enough to understand that there was hope in Jesus. Can I just say that? There is hope in Jesus. So with that in mind, I want to I ask you to do something with me this year. Would you extend hope in Jesus to people? Just extend them hope. You know, there's something that the Lord... There's something in my spirit, and I don't know what it is, but there's something about this year of 2024 where it just seems like there's going to be change in a lot of areas, a lot of ways. I'm seeing it in some of my minister friends. God calling them to do different things. Um. Because people today, they have, they have such a need for truth because they've been told so many lies or they, that truth is just whatever you want it to be, your truth. Does the compassion and kindness of Jesus have a place at the table of our heart? Do you want to get healed? Say, Pastor, I don't know if I need healed. If our compassion does not line up with God's mercy, we need some healing. You know, there may never be the realization on this earth of all the things we sow to, but the harvest will come. The harvest will come. Do you know that when you plant wheat, you're not going to get it the next month? There's a season for it to come. And in the meanwhile, there's going to be so many obstacles to that wheat growing a good crop. There's going to be weeds growing in the field. And you're going to have to, dip, you're going to, have to get the weeds. You have to mess with the weeds. There's going to be rain when you don't want rain. There's going to be no rain when you need rain. There's going to be a storm come up like did the other day out at our place in the pebble-sized hail. But a lot of times there, it's baseball-sized hail, and it can take out a crop. 
And see, that's the kinds of things we're dealing with today. That's the kind of things people are dealing with today. And I'm telling you, there, there are so many of us we need to walk in this anointing like never before. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, I want to thank you for the example that you have shown us in Jesus of your mercy and of your compassion. I want to thank you today, Lord, that you have shown us how to do what you're calling us to do, and I pray, Lord, that you will help us do it, that you will help us be more like you when we interact with others. I pray, Lord, in this year that you give us patience, that you give us kindness, that you give us goodness, that you'd flow through us with compassion and let it be yours poured out upon us. And I pray, Lord, those are all the things that we need help with. And I pray, Lord, that you would grant us the wisdom to understand the truth that you desire mercy and not sacrifice, and then give us the courage to live it out every single day of our life. And if this is your prayer, would you just say a big amen? Amen. Amen. Mercy, not sacrifice. Go in the power of that word. Let God lead you. Let God guide you. Love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless.